This is Echozoi Radio, episode 117 for January 2018 with Mark Huffman on World Missions. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson. I'm Andy Olson. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. This is episode 117 for January 2018 with Mark Huffman. Mark spent more than 10 years as a full-time missionary in Odessa, Ukraine, and now works for Entrust, which is a missions agency based in Colorado Springs. Mark shares what he has learned about the missions field from various parts of the world and what his organization does to equip and train leaders to spread the gospel within their home countries. Just a quick update in regards to Echozoe Answers. Uh, the video endeavor in which I dig into theological questions you might have. Uh, I haven't got a new episode up since the last time I did a podcast, but I haven't had any new questions either. I'd like to put a show together, though, so if you've got a theological question that I can help you with, please let me know, and I will make some time when I can to do another of those short videos. Also, I apologize for getting this episode out so late in the month. Um, I was providentially entered along the way. My original plan was to pick up that Five Solas series that I started years ago, but two very eager guests were both ultimately unable to work an interview into their schedules. Both of them will probably join me in the future to do those shows, but this month just wasn't practical for either of them. No problem, though. I really enjoyed the discussion you're about to hear, and I'm glad that Providence worked it out to do this show instead of the ones that I had planned. As with any episode, you can get show notes for this one at the website. Every month I put together a bullet-pointed outline of the discussion, a list of scriptures that we reference during the show for your own deeper study, and when appropriate, lists of additional resources on the subject and related episodes from the Echozoi Radio archives. You can find the show notes for this episode at echozoe.com slash 117. With that, here's my discussion with Mark. Mark Huffman, um, it's been a very long time since we've had you on Echo Zoe Radio, but um, welcome to the show and glad to have you back. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. It has been too long, too long. But yeah, and um, I'm guessing that most of the people who listened to the show but haven't gone back and listened to the entire archives, never heard that first time you were on because you last time you were on was actually episode number two back wow, in, yes. in June 2008. So, and this one is 117, almost 10 years later. Wow, you've been at this for a while. It's hard to believe it's been that long, really. Yeah, and you know, I had a fellow podcaster um, reached out to me today on Twitter, um, privately mm-hmm. and was asking me, why do I do monthly shows? Why don't I do weekly shows? Mm-hmm. And the reason why is that uh, the primary reason is just the amount of time it takes to do a show, to find a guest, uh, find a topic, do the show, mm-hmm. edit the show, produce the show, post the show. Um, 
it would be nearly a full-time job if I did a weekly show, to be honest. Sure. Just uh, doing it yourself. Yeah. Way. An average show can take me um, six to eight hours of work um, to, mm-hmm. from the first time I hit record. Usually that's the first work I really put into it um, mm-hmm. when I hit record. And all the way up to when I post it live, it, it's, uh, you know, including the recording and then the, the editing and the show notes and all that stuff is usually uh, six to eight hours sometimes. Um, I think the average for podcasters is uh, around five to six hours of work for okay. every hour of audio. So okay. that's a big reason. And I think, and I told him not only is it a lot of work, but I said I probably would have burned out years ago. And uh, I think uh, that's a large reason why I've been able to make it almost 10 years is, is sure, because I only, only do one yeah. a month. <laughs> so You can still have a life. Yeah, and it sometimes it can be a burden in that, um, you know, I get it done and then I put it out of my mind. And especially when I have them ready for the first of the month, um, mm-hmm. I'm done and mm-hmm. I, I got a whole month to produce another show. And it can be a while and before I even start thinking about it. And this one is really, really sure. late because providentially I was hindered. I had actually two other shows that I was, uh, approached guests originally, um, had something lined up. Um, the guest I had was was just timing wasn't going to work out and went to a backup who was going to more than excited to do it. And, uh, that providentially Mm -hmm. didn't work out. And, and then, uh, it just worked out that you and I went to dinner last Friday and, and had a, a great conversation and said, Hey, let's do a podcast. I, it's uh what, what's the date today 20 24th of january and i i don't have a january episode yet so i'm going to record this and hopefully have it up this weekend and just barely squeak it in for january sure so, well i hope we do it smoothly here so your editing task <laughs> isn't too great <laughs> yeah. no the, the editing is usually minimal now it's going to be helpful on this one because we're going to be talking about some sensitive subjects that uh could affect um, people's safety and, and lives. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, if something were to come up that w- this, this would be a case where editing would be very valuable. And so going to be mindful right. of what we're talking about and, and, uh, hopefully keep people safe. But, uh, let's start mm-hmm. with, uh, well, first time we talked almost 10 years ago, you were a pretty, f- uh, new missionary to Ukraine. You were in, in Odessa, Ukraine mm-hmm. for many years. Yeah, I lived there for 10 and a half years and planted a couple churches and trained almost 100 Eastern European missionaries and helped their churches send them around the world. Uh, started two English schools, evangelistic English schools there in Odessa, connected one connected with each church. Uh, and yeah, a lot has happened. A lot has happened. We uh, finished uh, finish, like, say, raising our three boys and sent them <laughs> off to college while we were living there. And now they've all graduated from their colleges. And uh, so, yeah, a lot has happened family life, ministry, mm-hmm. and, uh, and just great things going on in Ukraine. Uh, it's this great time to be a Christian in Ukraine. Not not easy to be a Christian there, mm-hmm. uh, but, but good things coming. The church. You know, nationally, the church is maturing there and starting to uh, get a vision to train missionaries, to send missionaries other places, to plant more churches there. And really, uh, uh, I've seen in many places a return to 
to really scripture and to the the gospel and not so much their own traditions. Uh, and it's just been encouraging things going on there. And Zach, we're not living there anymore. Kim and I moved. We left Ukraine two days from today, so the January 26, 2017, and came back to the States to start a, a new ministry. We mm-hmm. started working with a new ministry, a new to us, but not new by any means. Uh, and that's really the past year has helped given me uh, more of a view of what God's doing around the world, and that's pretty incredible stuff as well. And it's not, you know, not the usual things that we hear in the news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do you want to say what organization you're with now? Yeah. I, yeah. I am with it, a group called Entrust. Mm-hmm. Um, next year is our 40th anniversary, and we are. Uh, we were back when we started, it was first called BEE International, Biblical Education by Extension Okay. International. And it started in 1979 in in Europe. During the Iron Curtain era, uh, we established a bunch of Bible schools behind the Iron Curtain, so underground Bible schools. And we were involved in uh, smuggling Bibles, smuggling materials for those schools to train pastors behind the Iron Curtain. Cool. So that's how that's how we got started. It was actually, I think, 19 organizations that came together and formed our organization, uh, just working together to have a concerted effort to you know, expand the gospel behind the Iron Curtain throughout the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. And God did incredible things during that time and uh, protected us, protected a lot of people, uh, s- smuggled a lot of Bibles and training materials. We also translated it tons of materials into the various languages in Eastern Europe and Russia, and trained a lot of pastors, a lot of church leaders during that time. Then in 89, the, when the, the Iron Curtain fell, we expanded and took our expertise to other places. So uh, we're still serving in Europe. Um, but we went to Africa and we got real involved in training leaders in Africa and in Asia and the Middle East. Uh, now that we are, we have staff living in, I believe, 22 different countries, and we are training leaders, church leaders, in uh, about 70 different countries in, I think, 22 different languages around the world. Okay. So we're not a huge organization, but we partner with a lot of other organizations. It's not what we do is not about entrust. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about the church and about um, really about training leaders to train leaders. Okay, you know, we're not we're not as, you know, certainly want the first generation in a country to be strong and established, um, but our goal is beyond that. Uh, in fact, in our and our logo, our name is Trust to the Fourth Power. And the the word in trust, our name in trust, is taken from Second Timothy 2.2, 2, uh, where, where Paul says, The things that I have uh, showed you in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who are able to train others. And in that verse, there's four generations. There's Paul, there's Timothy, there's the people, the reliable people that Timothy is entrusting this too, and then it's the others that they're training. So four generations. And so that is our goal is to help to go into a country and help those leaders train 
to four generations. Wow, yeah. And that's quite a challenge, and it's not being done many places mm-hmm. and not being done by many organizations, but, but we are we doing our best to take those words literally from the Apostle Paul uh, and to, to you know, just look ahead to that fourth generation and what's going to be needed. Mm-hmm. Um, so you started off, well, not that you, but you as in Entrust, uh, you plural, mm-hmm. um, started off you said behind the Aryan curtain. So you were in um, countries that were hostile to the gospel. Yes. Yep. And today, it, it, how much of your work is still done in hostile countries? Um, now, I assume that those countries you originally were in that were hostile are now friendlier. But, yeah. Yeah. Eastern Europe now, there's... Uh, I got to think, you know, pretty much freedom of religion throughout Eastern Europe. Yeah, you certainly didn't Uh, have to hide when you were in Ukraine that you were there to teach people the Bible and that uh, you were sharing the gospel with people. No, not at all. But you're still going into places now that you do have to hide, that you can't tell the officials as you're going through uh, border security that, oh, we're here to teach people the Bible. Right. Yeah, if you look... You know, on our website, we have a map of the countries we work in, and and I don't know if you maybe would be able to count twenty. I've never actually never tried. Um, so there's another fifty that are missing, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't know that we're working in fifty uh, restricted access countries, uh, but but several and percentage wise, yeah, it's hard to say. Hard to say. I've never really looked at our staff to to okay. tell. Um, but a lot of my activity and what I'm involved in is in those areas. A lot of those areas, I can just say, you know, I can say the Middle East, I can say uh, Asia. In mm-hmm. those two regions is where we are expanding a lot and growing a lot, um, and we have a lot of activity. And there's also a tremendous need. Sure. Tremendous need there also. So. Now, you uh, were sharing that, some but, stories at dinner on, the other night about um, the Middle East side, and mm-hmm. um, it's not like very um, um, savvy uh, cross-border stuff, like how you would kind of take advantage of what you could do in one place that might affect another close by. Yeah, it's in some of the some of the countries we're working in, it's illegal to be a Christian. If you, know, if you share the gospel with someone, you'll, you could easily go to prison. If you have a Bible, if you're caught with a, possessing a Bible, you could go to prison for that also. And so it's very difficult to train there. You know, mm-hmm. That's happening, but it's hard to do on a, on a formal scale, on a bigger scale. Sure. And so, so what's common is to have... Uh, church leaders, potential church leaders to travel to nearby countries where there is more openness and then, and they can be trained. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're involved in that in some places around the world. Also with, with the refugee crisis, that's all around. Uh, we see you know, refugees get uh, sent to countries where there is some religious freedom. And we find those who are Christians and you know, they would show up at a local church, for example, and mm-hmm. and we work with that local church to find some leadership potential. And so while they're living in a refugee camp, you know, that's being 
probably typically run and paid for by the UN. So they have their housing is taken care of and their their food is taken care of. And, and granted, it's not ideal living conditions by any means, but they have their living is taken care of. And while they're living there, they're going to Bible college mm-hmm. and getting you know two years of Bible college. And, uh, and, and I know this is happening outside of this and trust this. It's happening other places too. And so they, Typically, my understanding is it takes about two years when you're in a refugee camp to have your paperwork processed. And, <laughs> and most refugees are hoping to go somewhere to the West, to go to America, to go to Germany, someplace like that. Mm-hmm. But typically, it's it's Muslims that are in the leadership roles of these camps, and they're making decisions. And so they discriminate against the Christians, and they send the Christians back home. Mm-hmm. So meanwhile, these Christians have been trained at a Bible college. They're trained how to be pastors, how to be church planters, and yeah, they're sent back home. Mm-hmm. And they're you know sent back to restrictive access country, where they are uh, then involved in discipleship and church planting and evangelism and you know, changing. Uh, being at changing the church and growing mm-hmm. the church in these restricted access countries. Now I know. So I, we, oh, go ahead. Sorry. We, we used to call in missions. We used to call these closed countries mm-hmm. and places um, in in Asia, in the Middle East, and, and other places. Um, but now you know, we've changed that terminology because there is no country that's closed to the gospel. Every country is open to the gospel, and so closed is not is not the right term. So we now use the term restricted access because it's hard to get there with the gospel. It's restricted, mm-hmm. but it's getting there. It's getting to places. Even North Korea, I can I can say we're not doing anything in North Korea, but it is it is the number one hardest country for a Christian to live in, the most dangerous place for a Christian to live in. Um, but but I've heard of missionaries. I've met people that are sending missionaries into North Korea, not from our organization, but from others. So yeah, well, I'm glad happened. you mentioned that because that was like you know like, again, I want to be sensitive to um, to people potentially put in danger, um, especially through entrust. But uh, so mm-hmm. that, of course, mm-hmm. you know, you say Asia. That was the first one that comes to my mind is. Uh, if if no country is truly closed, that's that's the one that comes to my mind. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, and I've been uh, I actually watched a I don't know who produced it, but there was a a documentary that was about 45 minutes long. I watched recently about North Korea, and it's really interesting to see you know what's going on there right now. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to mm-hmm. get information, but um, there's uh, kind of the North Korean version of the millennial that uh yeah. has grown up at, at and uh realized that the only way they're gonna eat really is to just disobey the government and have a have their own little black market and so there's this burgeoning black market going on there and oh, uh wow. people smuggling things in from mostly china but mm-hmm. uh they're figuring mm-hmm. out how to how to smuggle a lot of things and i would imagine um, based, you know, of course, the it wasn't a Christian group that put together this documentary. So, but I would mm-hmm, imagine mm-hmm. that it it would be just as easy to smuggle a Bible in as it would um, rice or 
or fruit sure. or you know whatever yeah. else that these people bring in in order to yeah uh, yeah give them the words of life along with mm-hmm. the, along with the food that they need yeah yeah there's a lot of creative things people are doing in Korea I've heard of uh, there's several groups that launch balloons. Yeah, I think with, I've heard those stories too. With Bibles and with tracks and the balloons, you know, who knows where they end up? But they, when yep. the wind is right, they blow across the border and they'll eventually pop or come down to the ground. And you know, mm-hmm. hopefully, someone will find the gospel. Someone will find that the uh, the truth there. Yeah, and um, you know, hey, maybe we will be working in Korea sometime <laughs> in North Korea. And uh, if someone yeah. out there listening is interested, yeah. Give me a call. We can talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know how would we do it, but, you know. <laughs> no, I'm curious, you know, the, my, you know, my uh, theological, uh, I don't know, my theological bent, I guess. But, uh, you know, I tend mm-hmm. to be a little more on the somewhat reformed side, uh, monergistic mm-hmm. and whatnot. And I, my listeners are as well, but. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder, I too, so. yeah, and I wonder, like, um, how does that play out in in some of these situations where you've got, um, you know, these camps, for instance, the the um, mm-hmm. refugee camps, where you've got people there, you you can't really be nitty, nitpicking over secondary doctrines. You just want to get people the gospel. Yeah, uh, yeah. But how much, uh, how deep do they get into some of that theology? You know, it really depends and can vary on the location and on the people. Uh, I've certainly been stretched in in my role mm-hmm. and I've been challenged in my role because you know we go to a, a place where I don't you know I don't necessarily agree with with them completely theologically, but mm-hmm. these are are people. You know, there's a church in the Middle East that. Um, that is charismatic, and you know, that's not that's not my background and not my personal conviction. Yeah. Um, but they you know, they are you know te- they are sharing the gospel and they're teaching the gospel and and they're not they're not wildly charismatic so they're, mm-hmm. they're not way off you know into health health and welfare gospel and that kind of stuff. And so they are teaching the true gospel. And I was a little concerned about going there and visiting them and talking to them about things because uh, it was kind of outside my experience. Mm-hmm. But but it went really well, and I just and as I see the the tremendous needs they have there in the Middle East uh, spiritually and the encouragement, but then also the, the incredible work that they're doing and. Uh, then the response that they're seeing to the gospel is incredible. And so it's clearly God using them and clearly God working. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, at first my feelings were just kind of holding my nose and serving there because I know that they're doing well and serving well, but it's, it became much more than that. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, it wouldn't be my first choice. It wouldn't be my <laughs> theology that I would preach in that church, but... Mm-hmm. But they're doing a great job of representing the gospel and representing Christ. And, and that's what I think is important. I mean, when you're getting the essentials, you know, you're getting the virgin yeah. birth, you're getting a tr- the, the Trinity, and you're getting the death, burial, and the resurrection. And um, hitting those essentials, you know, I can, 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I can call your brother, even though we might disagree on on the gifts or uh, you know speaking yeah, in tongues yeah. or whatnot. Um, yeah, not my thing. And I, but uh, and I don't know where this pastor was, you know, ten years ago before mm-hmm. he went through our training. because you know, maybe he was, you know, not so clear on the gospel and okay. not so clear on on you know. The, the authority of scripture versus experience and some of those issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, we had some good talks about those things and uh, he was pretty solid on a lot of issues that, that surprised me. That surprised me. Good. I'd like to think yeah. and hope that maybe that came because he went through our training, yeah. uh, which is, which, well, it's my yeah, conviction that if, yeah, it's my conviction that that you you got to have the right Jesus and uh, uh, you got to have the right person and the right works in Christ. If you get yeah. the person and the works right, um, we can you know then the Lord will work on the rest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I I certainly you know I I see that come up especially here in America and I think in Europe um, a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I've always made a point to try to keep a broader view because I think we in America can get kind of closed off in our thinking and uh, kind of forget about the rest of the world that mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. always so easy as to just believe in specific points of doctrine right down the line and, and, and be able to go to any library and grab a theology book to prove your point. But... Um, uh, yeah, and, and in missions, you know, they don't have the library where they right. can go. Yeah, that's my. And so, if they're you know, we work we work with pastors that don't even have a whole Bible when we met them. Mm-hmm. You know, what they have for resources are are little, you know, very little to nothing compared to what we have here in America. Uh, and and so, who's going to help them if we say yeah. no? I don't like your theology. <laughs> see you later. You know, who's going to help them? Mm-hmm. We have a uh, we work with a Bible seminary and college in South Africa where uh, it's mostly most of the students are pastors from you know, economically difficult places that are there, and many of them that come are not believers. They're pastors, but they are not believers. Wow! But most of them, by the time they graduate, are. You know, well, they spend the first year on the gospel and helping them understand the gospel, but. They come from you know such such a mixture, you know, but but they're just they're just taking what they were taught, and mm-hmm. you know their pastor maybe had just a few books of the Bible, and never heard a good sermon in his life, uh, and so they're just trying to carry on what they're convicted with, uh, even though it's not the gospel itself. And mm-hmm. so if we were just to say sorry, I can't work with you. You don't know the gospel. <laughs> you, know, you know, missions is different overseas. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to take that different overseas and. And so, you know, we're working with this guy I mentioned earlier in the Middle East, and I think he's come a long way theologically. And we're working with these pastors in Africa, and a lot of them have come a long, long ways mm-hmm. theologically, you know, to admitting Christ as their Savior to begin with. So, yeah, we have to have different standards, really, when we're working overseas. Now, now my wife and I moved here about 10 months ago. I'm in Colorado Springs, which is kind of the, the mecca of <laughs> missions agencies here. Yep. I think there's almost 100 mission, missions and parachurch organizations here in Colorado Springs. 
And so I have, I don't know, it wouldn't surprise me if I have 200 churches to choose from. Uh, and so I can be pretty picky. Mm-hmm. In Odessa, in Odessa, there was a lot of churches to choose from, but, but probably three that that were really clear on the gospel. It's a city of 1.3 million people, mm-hmm. and probably three churches that I would consider going to. And here in Colorado Springs, you know, out of the at least 100 churches here, there's probably easily 50 that I looked at as possibilities for us. And so I can be really picky now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we were really picky. Uh, you know, for every church we visited would have been a fine church home and um, you know, compared to what we have access to in most countries of the world would have been a great church. But since we could be picky, mm-hmm. and we were picky, and it took yeah. us several months to, and uh, listening to a lot of sermons online, too, to find a church home. So, yeah, it's just theologically, the you know, when you get outside of America, it's very different. Yeah, and and I um, like I said I, I don't have that first-person mindset, but I—, I I work hard to make sure that I keep it in mind. And cause I think yeah, uh, as, yeah, and every once in a while I'll look at the stats and see, you know, who's downloading these podcasts that I'm doing and where are they from? Uh-huh. And there are a lot of Americans that do it, but I see dots all over the world. And, and uh, I always want to acknowledge those people that um, they live in a different place, but we serve the same Lord. And, and that's the oh, thing yeah. I appreciate the most. And, and then I think yeah. is most important. Yeah, and we are yeah, really overrun with uh, resources here in America, and uh, that's something that you know we're working to do. It's called uh, there's a, a theological famine around the world, and uh, I think it was Desiring God Ministries that at least I first heard that term from. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have been the Gospel Coalition. Uh, but yeah, there's just a tremendous theological famine going on out there. I've heard the, the, the statistics statistics I've seen is that 75% of the pastors in the world have no theological education. That's yeah, 75%. And some have claimed it should be 85 or 95. Okay. 75% is a low number, so I prefer to go with that number. Yeah. Because that's, that's scary in it itself. It is. Yeah. Um, if you don't mind, let's let's talk about a few parts of the world, and we can get as specific as you want, or be as vague as you want. But um, okay, um, maybe we'll start with Africa and and different and Africa's huge. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. What? Well, let's start with with like maybe a, a more narrow part. In in uh, I may mean, you you mentioned South Africa. Let's maybe we can go with South Africa because. It's come up. Sure, I you know I I worked the least in Africa. Okay. Um, my boss, David Goodman, the CEO of Entrust, was born and raised in Africa, and so he he takes care of most of the okay. issues in Africa, uh, and so I I get I'm involved in some meetings now and then. Um, in fact, I spent about an hour on a on a video call with a, with one of our leaders in Africa today. Sure. Um, I'm not real familiar, but I can speak in some generalities <laughs> okay. there. Well, maybe just what uh, you know about different places. What you know? Sure. 
as detailed yeah, as you want to be or as vague as you need to be. Sure. I'm in connect, you know, contact with African leaders you know, on a weekly basis, probably. Okay. And, and you know, what I hear about the most there is just how the gospel has been so distorted um, because of bad teaching. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, you know, when, when when we Western missionaries went there, we brought a Western gospel and not really an African gospel. Um, you know, we didn't do a good job of putting it into their context. And that okay. is still plagues oh, the church there today. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? What do you mean by that? Because when I hear gospel, I should think, you know, there's there's no neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. I mean, it should just be a gospel. It shouldn't be my gospel, your gospel. And it, yeah, maybe a true not gospel. The truth. Yeah, yeah, that well, a true not, gospel not should be sh- able to be preached anywhere, regardless of, of cultural context. Sure. Not so much the truth of the gospel, but, but how it works out in our lives. Okay. Um. Um, an example that a uh, example that comes to mind that actually that my wife pointed out pointed out to me the other day when she was in a meeting was actually in India. Um, they just face different issues than we face here, and this one in India, you know, uh, as a young lady, someone shared the gospel with her, you know, and, and she was ready to put her trust in Christ, but then she realized. You know, I'm a Hindu. I have three million gods. You know, so does Jesus replace all three million, or which one of my gods does Jesus replace? <laughs> when I go on a trip, you know, I pray to this god. If I'm going to have an exam, I pray to that god. You know, is Jesus powerful enough to cover those needs, or do I still need to pray to the travel god and to the god that's going to help me with my exams? Mm-hmm. I don't think we have any books, you know, here written in America that address those issues. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, my uh, my theology books that I have here don't talk about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if if and so if we just bring our Western theology there um, and and how that works out, we don't answer the questions that they have. And so what's happened in Africa is the gospel has spread around a lot of Africa, but it's it's become corrupt. Maybe it maybe it'd be clear if I said just theology itself, but then that corrupts the gospel too. Okay. Um Yeah, I hear a lot about I, um prosperity teaching and and uh you know even heretical kind of word faith uh influence teaching kind of very even very popular in Africa. Oh, yeah, and there's just a lot of syncretism because it's just not clear. Issues aren't addressed. Mm-hmm. You know, by the Western theology doesn't address issues. Uh, one example that uh, our African staff shared with me uh, several weeks ago uh, was that the— uh, I might not have the details all exactly right. <laughs> I don't remember real well, but but I think I can get the general idea across that one of the pastors had a, had a sick child, I think it was, in his family. So he called the elders, you know, according to James, he had the elders come over and pray for his child. And then, you know, you know, anoint the child with, with oil even, um, and they pray for the child. 
one of the elders brought the pastor a chicken. Okay. And they thought, you know, and so I asked him, why the chicken? I said, well, then the pastor, after the elders left, the pastor went to the village. They have a special tree that, and under that tree, he sacrificed the chicken to uh, appease the gods to heal his child from the sickness. Okay. This was a pastor of the church and the elders that were doing this. Because that's the old, their old tradition that they do. You know, to appease the god of sickness, you go and offer a chicken underneath the tree. That almost sounds like a kind of, kind of like a book of Hebrews sort of thing, where it, just in a different cultural context. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, very much, very much. But I don't know if these, this pastor even has the book of Hebrews. Okay. You know, <laughs> to, to read about it, uh, I don't know. I don't know. But that happens, uh, you know, I'm told that just happens all over Africa in churches and, you know, really, yeah, diluting, changing the gospel. You know, sure. Are they even preaching the gospel? I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. So they still need missionaries that are going to teach them a biblical gospel. Yeah. Oh, yes. But it also needs to be African. Mm-hmm. Need to address their issues and not just you know import our issues and hope that they can make the the transition. Mm-hmm. And so that's one thing I really like about Entrust is we don't go there just to teach what we've got. We go there to uh, to help the foreign nationals, to help those leaders create their own program, create their own discipleship program, create their own curriculum. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to make it their way and not just the American way. Sure. When we when we first went into Africa, uh, one of the first courses that they that they wrote that we helped them create was HIV AIDS. Mm-hmm. And now, if you go to the seminaries and Bible colleges that we work with, that's one of the first courses they take is mm-hmm. HIV AIDS because it is so affected the African culture. There, it's it's you know. Touch so many people and so many families and so many towns because the the moms and dads are being killed by AIDS and mm-hmm. dying and leaving children behind, and it's so ravaged Africa that it had to be addressed. I would imagine there aren't any seminaries or Bible colleges in America that that have a class like that uh, on yeah. HIV AIDS. Yet alone is it an entry level course required for all the students. Um, but that is what they what what they need mm-hmm. there in Africa, you know, the gospel and HIV AIDS. Mm-hmm. And you see different um, there are different cultural uh, norms in different parts of Africa. I mean, like if you look at say Kenya, East Africa, and South mm-hmm. Africa and then West mm-hmm. Africa with like Nigeria and Ghana and, and that are, are they more or less similar or are they as different as we are from South America? You know, I'm not a good person to ask okay. that. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope, I hope to be in Africa in a few months. Okay. I've never been there. I've just, I've just talked with the leaders there and, sure. and men and women that are involved in ministry there. Uh, I, my, I, I picture more as, you know, there's a lot of similarities in culture 
And so, yeah, I think of it more as you know, like someone from New York City going to the Deep South or something. Okay, uh, it's probably a little more, uh, a little broader or further apart in Africa, but a lot of similarities. But it, yeah, you're, uh, you're clearly in a different place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I really don't know. Hmm. Okay, so uh, maybe another part of the world, Asia. Um, I don't know how specific you can get with. With your experience on Asia, but um, yeah, and that's hard because there's a lot of variety in Asia, and yeah, all I'm supposed to say is Asia. Okay, um, <laughs> there are what's what in the countries we're working in. You know, there's been some relative freedom. In fact, a lot of freedom okay. lately are in the near past, but now that's changing in the last year or two. Okay. Um. But one leader in Asia, you know, said that they will, uh, by the year 2021, that all Christians will be exterminated in his country. Oh, wow. And there are, there's a lot of Christians there. Um, and it's, so it's happening. What, what, what has happened, especially in more rural areas where there's kind of this, um, it's called religious nationalism. And so, so they really are promoting their own. You know, this they have a national identity with a particular religion, mm-hmm. and so they promote that. So it's a combination of religion and nationalism they're promoting. And so there's been a lot of attacks on Christians because of that. Um, and the 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 politicians are stirring that up in the name of nationalism. It's connected to their religion, so it becomes a very quickly anti-Christian uh, movement. And you see that in other places. In Myanmar, it was you know, they were. Um, it was in the news. I forget the name of the people group, but a, but a Muslim people group living in in Myanmar that had to flee because the military was coming and just you know killing killing them and oh, wow. pushing them out of their towns, and so they fled to the next to a neighboring country. Hmm. And so, so it's not just Christians that it's happening to, but. Um, but it is happening to the church. So you see that throughout much of Asia. And to me, it's really surprising to see, you know, in some regions, just the open, how open the crackdown against Christianity is. So, so yeah, there are pastors being put in jail, uh, churches being closed. Even in some countries where there are official registered churches, some of them being torn down mm-hmm. and being closed. Um, all from this what we call religious nationalism done in those terms. Okay. But the great thing is the church is continuing to grow in Asia. Uh, boy, I had some of these numbers. I don't see them here, but but it's just uh, you know, and daily it's an incredible number of thousands of Christian of people coming to Christ in Asia. Praise God. Yeah. You know, the only number I remember is 178,000 new believers every day oh, around wow. the world. Around the world. And I think it's, it's at least 50,000 in Asia. It might have been 50,000 in China, but it seems to me it was 30,000 in China, 50,000 in Asia. But I should, huh. I should dig out those numbers. Maybe I can find and them I just here pray that um, most or, or even all of them are at least getting enough truth 
that um, that they're actually being saved and not being led astray by false, you know, some false gospel. Sure, sure. That's not the number of people that are becoming Christians. Uh-huh. 178,000 is supposed to be evangelical believers. Okay. Um, the the Christian, Christian church is growing 6.9% a year. Wow. That includes, you know, all, I think that even includes Mormons and oh, okay. <laughs> those folks that they throw in the, there as Christians. Sure. So that would be, that would be more oh. than 170,000 a day. Yeah. Uh, but just Christians, um, 178,000 believers. I mean, oh. 178,000 believers every day. It's yeah, incredible numbers of what, what God is doing out there. And I would think uh, Asia would be maybe one of your more. You didn't. You haven't said this. I'm just speculating. Is one of your more mm-hmm. um, active areas. And the reason I say that is I, I saw a map recently that it was a uh, map of the world, mm-hmm. and there was a circle that was over, kind of you know, it was the center of it was I want to say about Vietnam, Cambodia area, Thailand area, mm-hmm. and it it stretched out and it covered. Um, say most of both China and India. Mm-hmm. And the point of the circle was to say that more than 50% of the human population lives within that circle. Sure. Yeah. All people on the entire planet, more than half of them live in this circle. Yeah. And so it would, it would stand a reason then that those would be your more active re- areas that. Yeah. It's a great area to be working in. Um, but it's also difficult because of the the anti-Christian sentiments there. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, just there's a lot of different cultures involved in that area too. Yeah, well, that would include India, and I wanted to bring up India. My understanding of India mm-hmm. is that um, India, at least parts of India, are friendly to the gospel, whereas others might not be so much. But yeah, there are there are uh, at least one. There's at least one Christian state. In India, okay. in the uh, northeastern part, North, okay. Nagaland, I think is what it's called. Okay. That's yeah, I remember Christ- hearing that it was state. like it was like the, the one or the other, north and south. One or the other is uh, mostly Christian. The other is mostly Hindu, and uh, the north is mostly Christian. Well, this is just the northeast. Okay. Is where Nagaland is. Okay. And uh, we have a friend from this area. And I asked her when this—it was the prime minister of India who said that that he would exterminate all Christians by the year 2021. And so I asked her, I said, you know, your whole uh, people group is Christian. What's going to happen? And she said, yeah, we're very nervous. Mm. We're very nervous in Nagaland. Um, and Nagaland is a small state right next to Myanmar, okay. almost in Bhutan, almost in China, and that's that is a Christian state, and they're nervous yeah, about but... about what's going to happen to them. And nothing's happened there yet uh, that I know of. You know, nothing because it tends to be the the super Hindu places that there's just a lot of real you know Hindu zealots that are out attacking Christians. Yeah, and that's uh, something I've kind of picked up on over the years is that Hinduism, 
kind of from an outsider's perspective, kind of comes across as peaceful, but they're really not so much. Yeah, yeah. They can be There's some very zealous ones. They can be pretty violent people. Yeah, uh, yeah. there are uh, Hindu terrorist organizations. Uh, yeah, what's interesting? What's happening in in India? You know, from a, a, a security standpoint, and yeah, I think I can say this. Okay. That that there are, um, yeah, it might be a good thing. I wish more missionaries would know about this. But in, in some of the security briefings I go to, they were talking about how there are some real zealous Hindus in India, and so they just comb the internet looking for Christians that are doing activity in India. Okay. And so they comb comb over Facebook, uh, and so I know there's guys that are in this, uh, these guys that I know that have people working in India. Um, we don't have any staff living and permanently working there. Sure. Um, but but we I know guys that do, and they've had short-termers come and work with them. And the short-termers come over on tourist visas. And this one group... They were in India for a week or so, and some government officials showed up one day and said, hello, can we see your papers? What are you guys doing here? And they said, oh, yeah, well, we're just tourists. And, you know, They really were teaching at a church and doing evangelistic activity. And they said, yeah, we just really love India. We're here as tourists. And the government official said to them, yeah, we see that you're here as tourists, but your Facebook posts don't show any tourism activity. You're not going to any of the usual tourist places, and so we don't think that you're tourists, and we are now watching you. Oh. And we expect you to be doing tourist activity and not religious activity. Wow. And so, yeah, there's there's these groups of just zealous Hindus that are out keeping track of what's going on on Facebook, and then they are reporting people to the government and, and turning people into the government to go and check up on folks. Well, there's a good reason to keep your Facebook profile mostly closed off to to the world and, and restricted to friends and friends of friends. Yeah. I, yeah. I know I, that's kind of my careful. default on Facebook is when I post on Facebook, the default is you got to be a friend of mine in order to see what I'm posting. And, Unless it's something really, um, you know, extraordinary that uh, I wouldn't sure, mind the whole world sure. seeing, but uh, that's a good reason to do that. Yeah, so it's a real challenge. They also said how they are also, you know, going out to uh, Bible colleges and seminaries and watching posts put out by them okay. and saving them, saving them on their own servers. And so when people come and apply for a visa, Americans come apply for a visa, they run that through their system from years and years of Facebook posts oh, wow. that they have saved and and posting from Christian websites. And so if you posted something maybe 10 years ago that you hope to be a missionary someday and then you show up you know, applying for residency in India, mm. that's going to come up on their system. Wow. Yeah, I don't, so, I don't know how I got on security issues. <laughs> no, well, that's a good thing for people to know. If you're listening and you want to 
want to do missions work that's a good thing to keep in mind or you ever think you might want to do missions work because and that's it's making me glad that i never changed that habit of always keeping things limited to friends and i'm traditionally been a little bit more picky on facebook about who i friend or who i confirm as a friend i'm a little bit more relaxed lately but uh yeah, uh, yeah. you know my my indirect i'll talk to anybody platform would be twitter and i'm more active on twitter but um i'm mm-hmm. more likely to engage with strangers on twitter than i am on facebook yeah so yeah well that's i think that's wise that's wise you need to be careful because it's really a worldwide platform mm-hmm now that doesn't mean but, that but, but, Twitter's but, any different. You know, they maybe they could just as easily be scouring Twitter as they do Facebook. But yeah, I'm sure they have. Yeah, robots just saving that stuff, mm-hmm. saving it away. Hmm. You no, know, I would, and you know, we should. I hope our government's doing the same thing with terrorists. I assume we are uh, <laughs> potential terrorists. You would hope. I don't know. Yeah, huh. but but in Asia, there's really. You know, we've had we've had these views of freedom, but those doors are being closed. Okay. Uh, and you know, really throughout Asia, not everywhere, but but generally throughout Asia. Now, when you and, made that comment about exterminating Christians, you you later said India, and I was assuming you meant China because um, no. I know China has had a lot of uh, gospel activity, but then they just had their uh, communist Congress met. Uh, just recently as well. And, and it sounded like there was a lot of crackdowns going down with uh, related to that, where the president of China wanted to, to um, let the communist party know that he's still a communist. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's been a lot of crackdowns in the church in China and, uh, and, but it's interesting because it seems just what happens is the church grows when that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's how God has chosen to grow the church you know, since the early days in the book of Acts, mm-hmm. uh, you know, using persecution to spread the gospel. And, and yeah, I expect that that is working well in China and that the more they push it underground, that the more that it spreads. Yeah. In China, there is an, a, a government-approved church called the Three Self Church, and then there's underground churches, which they call house churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, I've never been to China. I don't have firsthand experience there. Sure. Uh, but but I know that, that good things are happening there. Mm-hmm. If I, I see statistics, talk to other people, other organizations working in China, too. And, yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, good things are happening under the opposition there. My heart really goes out to the church there and the believers that are being persecuted, that are being, you know, put in jail. A lot of churches, and so, it, it can vary from region to region. You know, China is a huge place, so it just depends on, mm-hmm. on how different local authorities are. are and that's what I hear too. It's it's kind of up to the local things. governors and. Yeah, so it's just hard to say anything and have it, you know, cover all of China. Uh, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. But I, my understanding, you know, when just what I've seen in some Christian news too is that you know, they're no longer allowing crosses to be up in many districts in China. Mm-hmm. So uh, churches have been forced to take crosses down, and some churches have fought that and 
and have showed up to church and the doors are chained by the government. Um, you know, so there's some serious things going on there as well as churches that are being burned, um, pastors that are being arrested as spies and, and put in jail. And so, you know, a lot of really difficult things going on there in China. But the church is still is growing, and still a tremendous need for for leaders, for church leaders to be trained there, and tremendous opportunity for uh, ministry there. But but organizations just have to be really careful. And it's not really, you know, for for American missionaries to go there, it's not a, a, such a great risk for us because they would just kick us out. Yeah, if you're an American missionary in Vietnam and you're caught or if you're in um, Russia and you're caught, they'll just kick you out. Uh, if, if you if you really did something real subversive, you may have to spend some, some months in prison. Um, but typically they don't want to get you know, the diplomatic. government upset. Mm-hmm. So they uh, just to kick you out. But if you're a national, you got to live with that. Uh, and, and so there are a lot of brave believers all over the world that are willing to sacrifice everything to spread the gospel. And they are. They're the heroes. It's not not us missionaries. Yeah. It's really the people that are sacrificing are putting their families on the line, their homes on the line, their careers. And it's getting more and more serious uh, in Asia uh, because of that. And, and so we really pray, pray that the church there in Asia doesn't want us to pray for the persecution to end. Uh-huh. They just they want us to pray. Not in fact, I've heard it put this way: not you know, don't pray for us, pray with us. Okay. So don't don't pray for us, pray with us. That we'll have courage, that we'll be faithful, that uh, they will just stay true to sharing God's word and to the opportunities that God presents to them mm-hmm. yeah so, we got it yeah. easy here i think uh <laughs> when i get to heaven i'm gonna i'm just gonna walk to the back of the line because i haven't had to deal with <laughs> most of what they have yeah we are we are spoiled, we are spoiled. So, and i'm okay with that um i, I think they're, they're they'll be worthy of the honor they receive yeah. when we get to glory to in the Middle East, with with all the wars, that yeah, going I was going to ask you. Uh, I well, I wanted to ask you how how we're doing on your end as far as time goes. Um, I'm good, but if you've got time, I'd like to talk about the Middle East a little bit. Sure, sure. Go a little longer here, then I need to get some things ready for tomorrow. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, when we had dinner the other night, that you talked more about the Middle East than than these other areas. I don't know if we talked about the other areas at all. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. There was you had some interesting stories on the Middle East, and yeah, you know, ISIS has just created great opportunities for the gospel, as um, Muslims to to really think about Islam, because mm-hmm. there's millions. I think in Syria, if I remember, you know, 11 million people displaced, uh, and then that spilled over into Iraq, into uh, Turkey, to other places. Uh, and so, you know, I've talked to several Muslim background believers in the Middle East, and all of them had the same pattern. And and you've probably heard this pattern before, but 
it just really struck me because it was real. You know, it wasn't just some news story, mm-hmm. but it's really happening um, to many Muslim background believers that they're displaced from their homes by ISIS. Um, you know, they heard ISIS is coming, and and some people stay and just you know befriend them, and others are just afraid and they run and go to refugee camps. And you know, losing their home, some of them lost family members, some of them, you know, their sisters, their moms were taken away and they assumed sold into slavery. Um, and that just made them start looking for the truth. And so usually that's their first thing. They're offended by ISIS, start looking for the truth. Yeah, you mentioned uh, when we were talking about this before that they're they're questioning that as Muslims, they're wondering why is Allah allowing these other Muslims to to be so bad towards them to yeah to to really you know do some tremendous atrocities against them mm-hmm. uh, and so it causes them to start looking for the truth mm-hmm. and all of these former Muslim or Muslim background believers we call them um, had the same pattern. And then they started looking, started searching, and someone gave them a Bible. Some of them, it was miraculous. You know, they were just wishing they had a Bible. One guy and someone just walked up to them in a market and handed them a package and just said, God told me to give this to you. And they'd never seen this person open it up, and it's a Bible. Hmm. And so they start reading their Bible. Others were are like in refugee camps where there's Christians working in Christian churches that are working in the refugee camp and giving out Bibles. And so they start reading their Bible. And um, well, I, I, a couple of, I, I know that ears perked up when you mentioned that, when you say, God told me to do this. And when, our, yes. when our American ears, when my ears hear <laughs> God told me something, yeah. my first reaction is, okay, what verse was that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, hey, me too. <laughs> me too. And you know, those, these stories, I was just always kind of, uh, you know, just wondered about because I've read similar stories. But now here I was face to face, and these people were telling me these stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you know, it's not just something someone made up; it's their life. And sometimes they're telling me these stories with tears in their eyes. Um, and so. So yeah, and and they start reading the Bibles, yeah. and then every single one of them, some of them they've been reading the Bible for months, okay. But every single one of them started seeing visions of Christ or of God calling them. Um, the one, the one I remember most clearly, it was a guy who I saw his baptism. And then he shared that for three nights in a row, there's a man in white standing in the middle of the road with his arms held out, you know, like he's in the shape of a cross, calling his name, saying, come to me. You know, Ahmed, come to me. Ahmed, come. And so it just bothered him three nights in a row. And so he he woke up that third morning and and went and told his brother to keep having this dream of this guy in white stand with his arms out calling me and it's just bothering me and and his brother said don't don't you realize this is what we've been reading about this is jesus we've been reading about him in this bible and he's calling you 
You have to respond. We have to respond. We have to find Jesus. Let's go find this man that gave us the Bible and find out how we can get to Jesus. And so they went and found that man, and he spent just a couple hours with them, and they gave their lives to Christ. (laughs) For both of them, it had been a three-year search that they had been looking for the truth as they lived in a refugee camp. Mm -hmm. And... Now, I find these, this interesting. I mean, you mentioned this when we were having a private conversation and stuff, and and mm-hmm. I've heard these stories before, too. And mm-hmm. before you told me the stories, it was always kind of a heard through the grapevine kind of thing. You know, it was mm-hmm. like yeah. Yeah. I, it, it, I ne- it was never like I know somebody who's experienced it and firsthand talked to somebody that that would tell that story and stuff. So it really perked me up like this again uh you know the first thing that set off my sensibilities was god told me they gave you a bible and that you know my thought you know what verse is that if you if an american walked up to me and says god told me to tell you something or god told me to do this i would flat out my response would be okay can you show me what verse that was yeah Uh, Yeah. but then the visions thing and, and again like i if an American walked up to me and said anything about visions, I would totally disregard them. And yeah, so yeah. it's, it's interesting hearing this, but. It'll stretch your theology. <laughs> It'll stretch your theology. Yeah. 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 And, and so, yeah, I interviewed several people you know, independently and they all had that same it was the same story mm-hmm. you know different parts with the same components different ways they got bibles different dreams they had um but always those same components but then what's the follow up then i mean what um what what can you see in these people when you finally meet them to 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 say they are definitely our brethren. They have the right gospel. They're doing, they have the right fruit. Um, yeah. So I talked with, with several of these about that again, yeah, just independently, you know, mm-hmm. and talk to them about their hope, their certainty. And they just had a real joy in them. These are people that had lost everything. One guy was an engineer. He showed me pictures of his engineering firm. Mm-hmm. that had been wiped out by ISIS. He showed me before and after pictures, and ISIS took all of his equipment and sold it and turned his plant into a uh, armory. And and he fled for his life, and he had lost everything. And the time that I was talking to him, ISIS had been pushed out of his city, and I said, so, you know, are you, are you going to go back now and you know, restart your business? And, and he was like, no. He said, this... Now I have a new life. So my life is about serving Christ, and the people here need me. They need to hear the gospel. The people in these refugee camps need the gospel, and that's my life. And so, you know, he had a good, you know, a good life, you yeah. know, by human standards mm-hmm. um, in the Middle East. But he has no interest in going back to that. Yeah, that would he be reassuring. He wants to tell his, you know, lost brothers and sisters about Christ, mm-hmm. and so he's staying in that, that area. Was kind of reassuring about these stories is that there are, you know, some things that make my American sensibilities perk up, and yeah, that seems a little off. 
especially my more semi-reformed sensibilities kind of perk up and say that seems off. But mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. hearing that they got the Bible, like the Bible came first, that they're reading yeah. their Bibles, like where that it's not just that it happens in the story, but like where it happens in the story. I yeah. think is important. Yep. It, it's it's not like they had visions and then decided to go get a Bible, but um, you know they sought their Bible, they got a Bible, they asked for one and got one, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then um, the the visions didn't draw them away from the Bible, but pushed them further in. Yeah, and, yeah, and I just maybe I didn't pay much attention in the past to the stories before I got there because mm-hmm. I just always assumed it was the other way around because I just heard stories. You know, Muslims are having visions, and that's leading them to Christ. And so that's what I picture. Just yeah, that's the way I hear it too. And you know, it always... walking down the street, and some guy in white comes and says, "You should go to church." Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not that's not what is happening. They're looking for the truth. Um, you know, so you know, seeking God in some mm-hmm. way. Yeah, and then getting His Word. You know, God is seems to be honoring that somehow. Getting His Word to them. Uh, and then they're digging into God's word. Every one of these, mm-hmm. we're digging into God's word and just looking for the truth. Yeah, and, and that's then, a reassuring uh, fact, right there. I mean, that's that's one that's yeah, one piece that's really yeah. reassuring to me is to see that these are people that really um, thirst for God's word and and want to learn their Bible and read their Bibles and stuff. Yeah. Oh. And then, you know, these are people that it changes your world. You know, it is not easy to be a Christian there. Most of yeah. these people, you know, if their family finds out, they their family will kill them. Mm-hmm. And you know, we don't understand that in the West. I don't understand it in the West. They just have a different worldview there. Um, it's an honor-shame worldview mm-hmm. versus our our worldview is more about you know, legal, uh, about justice. Mm-hmm. But but for them it's honor and shame, and it brings such shame to a family that you would abandon, you know, you, the the faith of your fathers and your forefathers brings such shame that it's better that you were dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so some of our staff in the Middle East have gotten involved in in mediating um, a death sentence, and mm-hmm. has even have even we've seen some success where they. You know, go in and explain what has happened, and uh, and our staff was able to convince a family not to kill their son or their daughter, um, but but you know, but to let them come and live back at home with them again. Wow! And my hope would be that they'd be a great Christian example in their families mm-hmm. and lead the whole family to Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't know if that's happened, but yeah. you know, that's certainly my prayer. My oh. prayer there. Um. Well, cool. So even even the pictures that I took of the church, um, and of the baptism, you know, I can't I can't put out in public, mm-hmm. and can't share publicly because it would just put those people at risk. Yeah. Well, well thanks, Mark. Um, it was really providential that how this came about, and and I thank you, and and. Um, yeah, I was oh, talking. Man, my, my pleasure. You know, there's this great. This, these are great days to be alive as a Christian. Yeah, there are amazing things. 
going on in the world, and I just want to encourage people not to miss it. You know, I I really missed it when the Iron Curtain fell. You know, I was that was 1989, mm-hmm. and you know, I I was young, and it's like you know, I I understood it politically that that's what happened, but it was just a tremendous time for the gospel to spread across and into Eastern Europe. It was an amazing time of history. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people don't realize that behind the Iron Curtain, 36 36 million Christians were killed behind the Iron Curtain in mm-hmm. the Lenin and Stalin era, era. That's six times more than the number of Jews that Hitler killed. Yeah. Hitler killed six million Jews. Stalin and Lenin, primarily Stalin and Lenin, but 1920 to 1990, there were 36 million Christians killed behind the Iron Curtain. Mm-hmm. Um, that was perhaps some of Satan's greatest works during that time, but the Iron Curtain fell. And it was just a tremendous time for the gospel. Right now in the Middle East is a tremendous time for the gospel. Leaving you know, in the, the wake of ISIS is just amazing opportunities there. Mm-hmm. In Asia, these are amazing times for the gospel as well. You know, things are closing, but it's still, you know, this is the time we need to be there training uh, foreign nationals to be leaders to train their own leaders. So if we do get kicked out, they can they can take on going. the ministry. Mm-hmm. If it does get pushed underground, they have uh, leadership there established, and it can grow underground. So these are just tremendous times. Also in North Africa, uh, you know, great things are happening with the gospel, uh, with with you know forcing out the false gospel that spread across Africa, and with the truth. Mm-hmm. These are just great days to be alive uh, as Christians. The only place in the world that Christ, the church is shrinking is in Europe. Mm. Um, otherwise, the, the church is growing everywhere. And just uh, just encourage your listeners to to get involved, mm. get involved somehow, somewhere, someplace. We still have forty two point two percent of the world that has no church in their culture that can engage them with the gospel. Forty-two percent of the world. That sounds they high, but can't. I think I, I I take that to be encouraging that it's uh, it's on the smaller side of you know. Uh, yeah, but, but we've had two thousand years. And we've that's only true. Gotten to 58%. That is true. That's true. <laughs> and it's the hardest forty-two percent that's left. Yeah. Yeah, you know, from uh, Western Africa across through to Asia. Uh-huh. Um, so three point one one billion people that have no church in their culture engaging with the gospel yeah um but these are great days to be christians and great opportunities mm-hmm. around the world and i just i don't want to encourage people not to miss what's going on not to miss it so where can people learn more about in trust and uh you can go to our website which is in trust for the number four dot org and trust the number four dot org Mm-hmm. Um, great place. Another great place is just to go to um, JoshuaProject.net. Okay. They have great statistics on what's going on. Open Doors just came out with a new. Uh, they call it a World Watch map. It shows the 50 most difficult countries to be a follower of Jesus. So if you Google World Watch Map 2018 or go to org, I think it is, um, they have a lot of information. You can download a, a small uh, PDF document that will talk about every one. I think it's there. I haven't read through it all yet, but I think it talks. There's an article in there about each one of those 50 countries and what's going on there, mm-hmm. how to pray for them. 
that's a, just another really good resource. World Watch Map by Open Doors. Cool. All right. Well, thanks so much, Mark. And there, and there they have the top 50 countries, the most difficult countries rated uh, from Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Sudan, Pakistan. Um, yeah, really insightful and great places to be praying for. Even if you pray just for once, you know, one a week mm -hmm. to get through them all in a year, um, great things to be praying for. Cool. Yeah, I'm just looking up the map here. I see um, Mexico's yellow. Yeah. Uh, There's, I don't. I think two or four uh, states in Mexico that are really difficult. So that made all of Mexico okay. yellow. Mexico, and, and the only thing I see in the Americas at all is Mexico, and then Colombia's yellow. Yep, uh, and it's similar in Colombia. There's a few states in Colombia that's real difficult. Okay. But then otherwise it looks like a just a swath right through North Africa and across the Middle East, uh, South, yeah. South Asia. In we call it the 1040 window. It's China. 10 degrees latitude north to 40 degrees latitude north. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Mark, thanks so much. It's been a, a great talking to you both privately the other night and then here on for a podcast. It's, uh, oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Um, Good to get back in touch. Yeah. Personally, face to face. <laughs> yeah. And I love hearing um, about how people are, are working to spread the gospel. And um, I, I struggle sometimes with theology of missions, but I greatly appreciate missions and, and yeah, um, yeah. people that are, that will give up their whole lives and go to another part of the world just so they can share the gospel. Um, it's uh it's a it's a a big thing and yeah oh yeah jesus told us to go and make disciples <laughs> not just of our neighbors but of all nations yeah. and so it, it takes those people to go to those difficult places mm -hmm. and yeah and god's calling them raising them up and and yeah we had entrust love to help equip them and get them out to some of those places too cool well, yeah, thanks so much. Uh, I think we're going a little long, so I'll let you go and uh, greatly yeah, appreciate right. your time. Echo Zoe Radio is an outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries. If you are blessed by the show, please consider offering your support. There are many things you can do to help, including prayer, sharing the show with others, and your financial support. Echo Zoe Ministries is a registered nonprofit organization with 501c3 tax exempt status and your donations are tax deductible. For more information about how you can support EchoZoe Ministries, please visit echozoe.com support. That wraps up episode 117. Thanks for listening to EchoZoe Radio. For show notes, visit echozoe.com 117. Be sure to check out the website for links to connect with EchoZoe on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Google Plus and love to connect with you. So follow, like, or circle EchoZoe Ministries. Also, don't forget to check out Echo Zoe Answers. That show depends on your questions, too, so don't just tune in. Send your questions in as well. Lord willing, we'll be back next month with the February episode of Echo Zoe Radio. 